Good morning. This is Lucille Davis from the Chancel Choir at Christ Church. Hi, I'm Patty Davis, her daughter, from the same choir at Christ Church. That's how I learned about Christ Church, from seeing the Passion one Sunday when I was visiting. Well, here we are, another Sunday. No way to do things the, right, the way we want to. But the way God has set it up for us, he has a lesson in store, I'm sure, for us in this. Let's watch, listen, sing, and join all together in some way in our spirit as we learn from his word. Stay safe. Enjoy the service. Bye. This is the day which the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it as we worship him in spirit and in truth. Good morning, I'm John Klingelhofer, pastor of Outreach, and I wanna add my welcome to all of you this morning. Those meaningful words of Lucille and Patty were so grateful for their participation with us. We're so pleased that you are joining with us via our live stream broadcast, and we're delighted to see so many of you here in the worship sanctuary this morning. Regardless of where you are, please know that you are in the presence of Almighty God who has called us together to worship Him as His body. If you would like a copy of this morning's order of worship, all you have to do is text the number that you see on your screen and you can follow along with us. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh who came to live among us with power and with might. Come, let us worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Come, let us honor him. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Come, let us praise him for his faithfulness as we stand together to sing.
Please join with me as we bow our heads in prayer. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we have come to worship you this morning knowing that long before we arrived, you were already here waiting for us, eager to fulfill us, in us our deepest longings and our most cherished hopes. Thank you for calling us together and we pray now for the power and the might of your Holy Spirit to shine upon us, filling us with your power and love. Oh God, our Father, you give us the high privilege of confession and the marvelous promise of forgiveness. We know you are gracious, so please help us to face our sin with bold honesty. As we look at our own hearts, we know we are not the people you've called us to be. We are prone to worship the wrong things in a world that has little time for your ways. We are part of the problem, Lord. We know this because we too neglect to recognize our rebellion against you. Help us to acknowledge how difficult it is for us to follow you faithfully while trusting you completely. Forgive us for all the people, possessions, and experiences in our lives that we deem more important to us than our relationship with you. Restore us to a right relationship and free us from the grip of sin's power so that we might worship you in ways that please you and draw others into the circle of faith. For the sake of Christ we pray, amen. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn us but in order that the world might be saved through him. For all who confess their sins and resolve to lead a new life, he says, your sins are forgiven. And he goes on to say, come, follow me. So on this marvelous Sunday morning, may we take hold of our forgiveness and live our lives in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen.
lift our hearts now unto the throne of grace as we bow our heads in prayer. Strong and powerful Father, you are the shepherd in times of trouble. When we walk through the valley of the shadow, you are with us. When we find ourselves not knowing what to pray for, your spirit intercedes and guides us. When your world is a battleground of opposing worldviews, you sustain us and give us hope. Lord, we confess that sometimes the world's ills are so overwhelming we would rather look away instead of confront the pain and the evil. So we ask for your strength to face the realities of a world turned upside down. Help us to reclaim the call for civility in the public square. Help us to be the church that is distinct from our culture, yet also in the midst of the messiness of our day. Guide us to be on the leading edge of reform and renewal so a watching world sees unity among those who follow you. We lift to you, brothers and sisters in need of our care, Help us to reach out more purposefully when we hear about a need we can meet. Encourage us to a deeper prayer life for the problems in our world and give us the energy to band together to fight injustice and to work toward reconciliation. We ask for mercy for all who struggle against all odds and for all who find themselves in the night of sorrow or dense darkness of pain. We pray for missionaries both here and overseas whose ministries are under attack. And we pray for persons in public life who strive to effect needed change within the maze of politics. Lord, we have so many of our own needs and we also confess so many wants that sometimes feel like needs to us. Help us to have the wisdom to know one from the other. Command us and comfort us, for we need both direction and consolation. Deliver us from our hurried pace. Shape our lives for you rather than the things of this world and empower us to really deeply care about the things that break your heart. Forgive us when we spend more time enjoying our faith rather than applying it, where others despair, enable us to point to the future with hope and anticipation because of our faith in you. We ask now, O oh Lord, that you would hear these our spoken prayers and the deeper prayers within our own hearts. Help us to enact them, working for your peace and justice, mercy and purpose in all that we do today and forevermore through Jesus Christ, who teaches us to pray together by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, good morning once again, and welcome to worship on this day. You know that next weekend we are officially reopening our campus for in-person worship. We've been working very hard to create a safe and a comfortable environment for you and your family to worship in person. So we hope that if you are able and if you are ready that you will join us next Sunday. Many of you will have questions about our reopening plan, and we want to be able to answer all of those questions for you. And the best way for you to get those answers is to go to our website on the homepage. There is a video entitled Town Hall Meeting. The town hall took place this past Wednesday evening, and in those first few minutes of that meeting, you will be able to get most, if not all, the answers to your questions about our reopening. When we do reopen next weekend, we'll be asking everyone to register for worship each and every week. Registration will open on Sundays at noon for the upcoming Sunday. So this afternoon at noon, you can visit the address on your screen to register for next Sunday's worship. We'll be offering children's programming in our Oak Brook campus for a limited number of kids, kindergarten through grade five. You too will need to register your little ones by Friday at 9 a.m. before Sunday worship so that we can create a safe environment for all of you. More information about our children's programming is also found on our website and on the video presentation of our town hall meeting. Many of you we know will not be ready to venture back to in-person worship, and we understand that. Bless you. Please rest assured that we will continue to offer our live stream services for those of you who want to worship from other locations. We're pleased also to announce that beginning on September the 14th, we're offering the nationally known workshop, Financial Peace University. Whether you feel like you're in a financial crisis or are trying to avoid one, Financial Peace University can help you learn faith-based fiscal responsibilities. The program looks at things like debt, mortgages, insurance, and wills, and generosity, and it will help you create a customized plan for yourself and for your family. Most people, I think, when they think about Financial Peace University, they believe that it's a class only for those individuals who are seeking to get out of debt. Well, that's partly true, but it's also a great way to prepare for the next step in your financial milestones as well. Some of the people who have typically been benefiting from financial peace include newlyweds, engaged couples, young adults that are just starting out on their own, people planning for retirement, parents planning for their children's college education, recently widowed or divorced individuals. So really, it, you can tell it's for everyone. So we hope you'll go to our website and register for that. You know, we don't have to look very far in our world today 
to see an unprecedented number of people who are struggling. Some to find work, some to find food for their families, many looking for spiritual hope during these difficult days. So if you are struggling in need of help, we want you to know that we're here to help you and care for you in the ways that you need through this season. If you're doing okay and would even admit that you're doing pretty well, we're also here to help you by providing opportunities for you to give to the many, many people that we are in touch with who have great needs during this season. When you give to Christ Church, your offering becomes a source of hope for those in need, but it also becomes a tangible way for all of us to make a sacrifice on behalf of another. You can text to give, you can visit our website or drop off your gift in the box outside the building. If you're worshiping in person with us this morning, you may drop off your gift in the baskets outside the doors as you leave today. For many years, I've had the privilege of being the narrator for the Singing Men of Oak Brook concert series that takes place here at the church. In addition to their ministry in and around Chicagoland, for the past many years, they are regular participants in worship, and I just want to say that it's great, gentlemen, to welcome each and every one of you back to worship with us this morning as they lead us in singing, O oh Master, let me walk with thee.
Well, good morning and welcome to Christchurch. My name is Pete Stearns and I am our pastor of Family Ministries and I am so thankful to be joining us uh, for the service today. In the course of our Summer Light series, we as pastors have been given the freedom to choose a passage to preach on that has been uh, particularly poignant in our life. Over the course of 2020, and the challenges that it has brought, I have been drawn to the writings of James. James is the brother of Jesus, and in his letter to the church, he writes to the Christians around the world that have been dispersed across the nations. And they have been dispersed both because of the leading of the Holy Spirit, but also, and more pressing in this moment, because of the extreme persecution that they are facing. In fact, James himself is martyred for his faith shortly after the writing of this letter. But you see, he uses most of this passage to educate the church on how they might respond in a countercultural way to the challenges of persecution and the pain that it brings with it. There's no way around it. This year has been hard. It has been filled with pain and suffering. We started the year with a pandemic that still continues to this day. It led us to the loneliness and the isolation of quarantine, to the financial ruin of many. It has tested us emotionally, it has tested us physically, it has tested us spiritually. And in the midst of that brokenness, there was a light shone on the racial injustice that has plagued our nation for centuries. And we began to recognize systems of oppression that have been put in place over decades of time in a way that we never did before. You see, this racial tension led to protests that sometimes devolved into looting and violence. We've seen our streets run red with blood. And if that wasn't enough, it seems like the earth itself is shouting out against us as we have been plagued with an unprecedented number of natural disasters. Much of the West Coast is on fire. The Midwest has been torn apart by windstorms, And the South has suffered through a horrific hurricane. And now, we enter into what is likely to be the most tumultuous political season that we have seen in our lifetime. And you see, it is in this context that the words of James, educating the church on how to respond in the midst of trials, resonates deeply. We turn to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James, as he speaks to the believers that are facing unprecedented pain and suffering, says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let that perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not 
lacking anything. Let me repeat, as we face the trials of 2020, James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you encounter trials of many kinds. I don't know about you, but the challenges of 2020 have not produced perseverance in faith for me. Instead, they've produced habits, feelings, and characteristics that I am likely a little ashamed of. 2020 has brought out, in many ways, the worst version of each of us. And when I look back on this year and tell my grandchildren about it, I will likely not lift it up as an example of the best version of Pete Stearns. But you see, our world, our society tells us that's okay. They tell us that in the midst of trials, in the face of persecution, that we just should do whatever is necessary to make it through. If that means watching a little bit too much Netflix, go ahead and binge that show. If that means leaning on the comforts of food, go ahead and indulge. If it means holding tightly to your finances to assure stability, then by all means, do so. But you see, the problem with this type of thinking is that it leads us into a never-ending spiral. Comfort leads to addiction. As we lean on the mind-numbing effects of alcohol, of drugs, of pornography, a desire for financial stability leads us to independence, forgetting a God that is providential in our life. But you see, James calls us not to excuse and justify our behaviors in the midst of trials and tribulation, but instead to consider them pure joy because they will produce in us a faith that perseveres. These challenges will allow us to become mature and complete as believers. He says that these trials are a test of our faith. But let me be honest for a moment that concept that a pandemic, that racial injustice, that forest fires are simply a test for my faith to determine whether or not I am a fit Christian doesn't sit well with me. It seems rather vindictive. You see, we believe that we worship a God that loves us, that invites us into a personal relationship with him. And so it seems hard to believe that that same God would test this personal relationship by heaping upon us pain and suffering. We would not put up with this in any other type of relationship. If our spouse or our best friend constantly placed pain and suffering in our path to see how strong our love was for them, we would surely leave them. But you see, I think that this is because we as a culture misunderstand the test 
that James is referring to. When we think of tests, we think of aptitude assessments. We think of standardized testing that measures our intellect and compares it across and against our peers and the rest of the country. We think of final exams where we cram all of the knowledge that we can into our heads so that we might pass rather than fail. And with this understanding of tests, it is easy to assume that Paul or that James says that the trials and the sufferings that we face are an assessment of our spiritual health to prove which of us as believers will stand in the kingdom of heaven and which of us will fail the final exam. But you see, I don't think that James was talking about an examination. He was not encouraging the believers of the day to experience pure joy because they now were allowed to enter into a standardized test and fill out the bubbles of their faith. Instead, he is referring to a testing that was culturally relevant at the time, yet somewhat antiquated to you and I. You see, it is likely that when the believers heard this word testing, they were drawn immediately to the image of a metal worker, in particular, a silversmith. You see, a silversmith at that time would take their raw silver ore and place it into a crucible. They would then heat that with extreme heat and pressure to the point that this metal would liquefy. And as it liquefied, the heavier precious silver would sink to the bottom of the basin while the imperfections would rise to the surface. The impurities, that which was not silver, would then form a film across the surface of the crucible. At that point, the silversmith would then begin to scoop off the imperfections so that the silver might become refined. And this process was referred to as the testing of silver. The silversmith would repeat this process over and over and over again until his precious metal held great value and could be turned into objects that would be sold in the market. You see, it is with this understanding of testing, we can begin to understand why James recognizes trials as that which produce joy. You see, 2020 has elicited behaviors and patterns in our life that would be unlikely to present themselves in the midst of our comfortable day-to-day. -day. It has allowed sins that were buried deep within our spirit to come bubbling up to the surface. And James says we consider this joy because now, being able to more clearly recognize the brokenness that lies within us, we might invite God into a refinement process so that we might become perfect and complete in our faith, recognizing that those sins, no matter how deeply buried they are within us, create distance between us and our Savior. You see, the way that the silversmith could tell that the silver was pure and refined would be that they would look down into the crucible and see their perfect reflection in the liquefied metal. 
This is what James calls us to in the midst of the hardships of this year. To allow these trials to produce in us those things that are not becoming of children of God and then invite our Savior into a refinement process. You see, the silver doesn't do it alone. The silver requires the silversmith. The silversmith doesn't simply heat the metal until the imperfections burn away. Instead, he must be invited to actually purify the silver physically. And so it is true in our faith life. As we enter into this trial and this tribulation, we cannot assume that simply facing this challenge will suddenly produce this perseverance of faith. Instead, we must be intentional to invite the silversmith into the purification process. James continues in verse 5 by saying, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, I imagine that James is writing this a little bit sarcastically. Because he's referring to the wisdom that is the knowledge of God. So if any one of you in this congregation lack the complete knowledge of God, then you should ask him for it. I think it's safe to say that each and every one of us here would likely articulate that we lack the complete and pure knowledge of God in our life. And so what James is telling us to do is that in the midst of these trials— as we have seen these sinful behaviors produced in us, we must enter into prayer and discernment, inviting God to work through us in the midst of this sanctification process. But you see, I have found that discernment is challenging. More often than not, when we discern in our Christian life, we turn to God with our own expectations of what the future will look like, and we ask God to help us figure out how we can get there. But you see, this is not discernment. This is selfish ambition. Earlier this week, on my day off on Monday, I was hanging out with my three-year-old son, Shepard. And I just suddenly had a craving for a sweet treat. It was a hot day, and I had recently heard about a new popsicle shop in my town of Westmont, and I thought that it might be fun, a father-son bonding experience to go with Shepard to get a popsicle. You see, Shepard, as any three-year-old, loves dessert. You will oftentimes find him munching on cookies and ice cream and popsicles, and usually he is very enthusiastic about being able to partake in such activities. So I turned to him and I said, Shepard, do you want to go and get a popsicle with daddy? And very quickly, without looking up, he said, no, thank you. Well, this presented a problem because I really wanted a popsicle. And so I thought to myself, how can I reframe this? And so with just a moment's thinking, I found a solution. And I turned to Shepard and I said, Shepard, let me give you two options. Would you like to take a nap or would you like to go and get a popsicle with daddy? And suddenly he was much more enthusiastic about the popsicle. 
And so we loaded up into the car and we went over to the shop and enjoyed a delicious treat together. You see, I say this because this is how I think most of us enter into a discernment process. We say, God, I want to become more like you. I want to be an embodiment of your gospel. I want to be a light for the world around me. Work in me. Change me. Grow me. Transform me. And then we hear God's voice. We feel the conviction to release our grip on those things that have become so important to us. And we sit with it for a moment, disappointed. And we say, God, let me reframe the question. God, in the midst of my political allegiances, while still holding tightly to my worldviews and my ideologies, while still remaining in a place of comfort and securing my financial stability, how might I become more like you? And you see, James says this to this type of discernment in verses 6 through 8. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Again, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. When we ask for that wisdom, we must do so without doubt in our heart. And we're initially drawn to this picture of, of faith like a mustard seed can move mountains. And so we think to ourselves, as long as I have this complete and utter faith in God as my Savior, then he will give me his wisdom. But the reality is, is that doubt within this context refers to a worship of multiple gods in our life. James is saying, if you have any temptation to worship the gods of comfort, of happiness, of wealth, of success, if you are looking to hold on to that which has become valuable to you on this earth, then God wants nothing to do with you. And God cannot give you his wisdom. Theologian Douglas Moo says, doubt here refers to a conflict of loyalties that disturbs the purity of faith. You see, as we face these challenges, as we respond to the unrest in our nation, as we enter into a challenging political season, we recognize a call to be reformed and refined. But in order to do so, we must release our grip on holding tightly to our political allegiances. We must release our grip on our desire to produce comfort for our families. We must release our grip to worship financial stability as our primary God. You see, because if we hold on to those things, then the wisdom of God will always be polluted by the sinfulness of the world. 
And James says, I repeat, that a person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. You see, James calls us not to be a Christian and a Republican, a Christian and a Democrat, a Christian and a CEO, a Christian and a brother or sister or father or mother. James calls us to be a Christ follower. And it is in that context and that humility that suddenly we can invite God to a refinement process that will turn our trials and our tribulations into pure joy because we as a believer will be transformed to become a better reflection of the God that we purport to follow. Now, I will admit that in 2020, I have recognized a new spiritual gift in myself. The spiritual gift to identify and point out the imperfections and impurities in everyone else. You see, I've gotten very good at recognizing all of your shortcomings. I can just uh, cruise through Facebook for a few minutes and point out every sin that has cropped up in your life. I've become very adept at putting myself in the role of the silversmith, the refiner. And I hope that you hear this as tongue-in-cheek. Because the reality is that this is not a symptom of being purified myself. Instead, this is a symptom of my own desire to turn away from the hard work God is calling me to. It's funny, never in the book of James does the brother of Jesus call us to enter into the purification process of the other political party. Never does he call us to engage in Facebook rants that will surely change the world. Never does he call us to point out the flaws and the brokenness in our spouse, our friends, and our family. Instead, he calls us to an intimate and personal process of purification in our own life. And so if we find ourselves more adept at recognizing the failures in everyone else than we are about recognizing the sin in our own life, you can be assured that you are like these waves being tossed about in the sea, unstable in everything that we do. Because James seems to be far more concerned with our own personal transformation than he is with the transformation of the world that is burning around them. You see, this can be particularly difficult. It is hard to recognize the brokenness in our lives. It is far easier to point out the challenges of others. It's far more tempting to be drawn to the good things that we are doing. 
But in doing so, we become fixated upon the precious metal in the basin of the crucible while ignoring the brokenness that has formed on the top. And our witness is tainted. I want to take a moment to read from Galatians chapter 5. And Galatians chapter 5 is most famous as the passage that contains the fruit of the Spirit. But immediately before the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5 contains what I like to call the fruit of the flesh. And it is in this fruit of the flesh that I think we can begin this refinement process. Because the Apostle Paul calls out behaviors, patterns, and sins that are present in the lives of those people that are not yet refined. And so, in just a moment, I'm going to read these words aloud for us. And as I read them, I want you to fight the temptation to think of anyone other than yourself. Fight the temptation of pointing your finger at the Republicans or the Democrats, pointing your fingers at a a specific social movement, pointing your fingers at a neighbor, at a friend or a family, or at a keyboard warrior. And instead, invite God, the refiner, to reveal the brokenness, the fruit of the flesh in your response to the trials of the year 2020. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but this passage is sobering. Because while I don't resonate with every single one of these vices, there are certainly a few that have cropped up in this past year. I think about hostility, quarreling, selfish ambition, fits of anger, division, and dissension. And I realize that I have seemingly not been concerned about these sinful habits in my own life, but have instead justified them in pointing at the brokenness of others. And in doing so, I have ignored God's call to open my life in the process of discernment to become refined. You see, as we leave this place, it is imperative that we recognize what God can be doing in our life through the hardships that we have faced over this past year. Because when we respond counterculturally, when we respond in the way of the Spirit, we have the opportunity to influence the world. And as James completes this passage, he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, James 
is speaking to a group of people that are being persecuted. And he recognizes that these people are just as likely to be martyred tomorrow as they are to live. And it is in with that context that he recognizes that all that they do, the reason that they consider these tests and these trials with joy in their heart is not so that they might receive earthly reward. It's not so that you might be proven right on Facebook. It's not so that you can just resume your life, go back to being comfortable, maintain financial security. It's not so that your political candidate can be elected. Instead, it is so that you might reap treasure in eternity. In fact, James recognizes very clearly that if we do truly enter into this faithful refinement process that makes us mature and complete, as Christians, we can almost guarantee that we will not receive the earthly validation that we so often crave. Folks, we are standing at the brink of transformation. May we be willing to recognize these tests and these trials in our life through a lens of pure joy so that we might become mature and complete and we might garner glory for the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you are calling us to recognize these trials and tribulations through a lens of joy. Lord, we are confident that if we are vulnerable and humble in presenting ourselves for a refinement process that we will become better reflections of you, that our faith might persevere in such a way that brings glory not to our kingdom, but to yours. We pray this in your name. Amen.
Would you now remain standing as we receive the benediction that comes to us from the brother of our Lord. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is the word of the Lord. Amen.